right. Hello. Welcome back to our podcast. We have a new name. We're now Safe Passage with Friends. Yes. Super exciting. We're back. We're going to have lots of awesome guests yes. coming on now. Yes. We're back for a new season. We're going to be bringing on all kinds of fun guests, friends, people who work toward creating a community without violence. And we're super excited to hear from them about what they do. And it's going to be a good time. We're really excited about this new season. Yes. And to start off with April, April is a couple of different things. First, it is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And April is also Child Abuse Awareness Month. So we wanted to bring some information and bring on some experts who specialize in this area um, to provide information and resources regarding April. So we're super excited to share that. Yeah, super exciting. How's your April been going for you, Kayla? You know, it's starting to get sunnier, so I'm feeling really good. Like, it feels like we're finally transitioning from winter to spring, and, like, the snow's melting a little bit, Mm -hmm. and it's getting sunny, so I'm feeling more energized and hopeful and very excited, because it feels like summer is just around the corner. I'm in the same boat. I always refuse to admit that like spring and summer are coming when we're switching from like winter to spring or like spring to summer because we always have like it starts to get nice and then we have like this second winter after the full spring (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like winter fake spring second winter and then real spring exactly I think I'm finally ready to uh believe that this is maybe real spring finally (laughs) I've been getting out my bicycle (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking like planning all the fun like things for the summer, like mm-hmm. camping, hiking. Yeah, it's finally finally warming up a little bit. I don't have to wear like my giant down coat every morning <laughs> when I yeah. walk from my house to my car. <laughs> like three layers. Yeah, it's feeling silly. Yeah, and it's nice to see all the kids after spring break too. It's kind of like yeah. a push before summer. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. It's a good time. Spring. (laughs) So our guest speaker for the month of April, I'm super excited about because she reached out to us a few months ago and she's doing really awesome things in Boise. And her name is Michelle Batten. She is the family engagement coordinator for the Idaho Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health. Um, So it's a perfect time to kind of collaborate with Michelle and for the Idaho Federation of families for children's mental health this month, because we know that there is a huge need for children who've experienced trauma to receive support and mental health services. And so we really wanted to dive in with Michelle on how trauma impacts children's mental health and talk more about what parents can do if parents have had a child or have a child who's experienced mental health struggles or trauma or anything along those lines. So it's been really great to talk to Michelle. Michelle, um, like I said, works at the Idaho Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health, and they support families and parents of youth who have experience with mental health, substance abuse, foster care, and juvenile justice related issues. Um, So she 
has a wealth of knowledge and information. And so I'm really excited for everyone to listen to this month's podcast because I think it is full of really great information that anybody who has children in their lives in any sort of or in any relationship or works with kids, uh, this is a great opportunity to kind of learn from Michelle. Super excited to chat with Michelle. (laughs) We are so grateful that she's taken the time out of her busy schedule to chat with us. And we are incredibly excited to learn from her, hear more about her work and what she does and her knowledge around children's mental health. So could you tell us, Michelle, a little bit about your role and about the Idaho Federation for Children's Mental Health? Sure. I am the uh, Family Engagement Coordinator. Just a minute. I'm going to mute for a second to tell my kids to get the dog out. (laughs) I am the Family Engagement Coordinator, and I provide um, help and support to our youth coordinator, as well as providing programming for our parents and developing that and and supporting our parents in a variety of ways. Idaho Federation of Families is, our mission is to improve, preserve, and restore mental health of youth and families. We uh, talk about youth voice a lot and parent voice, and we do that by gathering input on the mental health system by training and assigning youth and parents to work groups at the state level. And we also do training events for parents and youth. Last fall, I ran an event for helping develop youth storytelling so that they can advocate for themselves through their own stories. We also do things like partnering with families to navigate and access services in Idaho. So I run the family support line and we help families there. We operate youth programs and develop those throughout the state with Youth Move National. And right now we have Youth Move Idaho, which is running virtually. And then we also provide education for parents and professionals and others working with youth and working on our conference right now. That is awesome. That's like a lot of things. It is. Really busy. (laughs) Yes. I don't do them all. It's our good team. So (laughs) that's really cool. A lot of important work though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially like children's mental health, especially like we, I mean, I'm sure you see it too, but we see such a huge need for it up here. Well, what I love is I get to work on the micro level of answering phones and helping families practically. And then I get to work at the macro level of with state agencies Mm. to change policy. So that's exciting to, it's not very many jobs. You get both things. Yeah. That's super nice. Cause like you said, you kind of get the immediate, like the those intimate connections with families and individuals, but then you also get to see like the bigger picture with policies and programming. You kind of get to see the whole like trickle down effect too, which is great. Yes. So for April, um, specifically child abuse awareness and action month, we kind of were hoping to chat with you a little bit about your perspective on how trauma can impact like child development and children's mental health. So really what got me into the field of mental health was my own story of growing up with an adopted sister and foster siblings. And in the seventies, there was very different answers and not as many resources. Mm -hmm. And so, though I must say at times, I think families still feel like there's different answers and not as many resources. So that's not a fair, fair statement, but (laughs) even more so then. And my parents were told a, you know, good community and a good education and a loving home would patch it all up. 
for my sister who was adopted. So anyways, I moved, went into child development and I ended up with a master's in child development and human development. And I still had that nagging question of what could have, how, how did she experience the world so differently just from 11 months, not to minimize it, but from 11 months of neglect and when she came to our home. And so it was only 10 years ago where I discovered trust-based relational intervention out of the Karen Purvis Institute for Child Development and really dove into that. And it really married my belief in hope and healing with the understanding I had for my education about child development and how trauma impacts development. So my perspective is very much developmental. And when I look at a child or talk to a family, I'm really talking to them about the ways that those early experiences have impacted development, whether that's cognitive development, but usually in mental health, we're talking about emotional development. And when we look at what I call a trauma age, it's usually about half of the chronological age. So most often those families that I work with, for me, particularly foster and adoptive, but now at the Federation throughout the state mental health, I'm looking at kids who are, you know, eight, but acting like a four-year-old and their behavior is getting them into the category of severely emotionally disturbed. So I am always looking at trauma as developmental because it really does impact the brain. And my passion is always about understanding that and how we can get out of trauma, get out of the impacts of trauma through understanding the brain and helping parents understand, hey, when we use the whole brain, we might be able to get out of this behavior and understanding fight, flight, and freeze and all those pieces. So it all ties together. That is really cool. And earlier you had said trust-based intervention is one way. Yes. I had TBRI. A- oh, you need to Can look. you tell me more about it? Yes, I'd be happy to. I can send you the links. TBRI. <laughs> Trust-based relational intervention comes out of the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. TBRI is a whole child intervention. We look at development, we look at attachment, and we look at the impacts of trauma on those. And uh, it's really the three pillars of TBRI are connection and looking at how attachments are formed. It's looking at empowerment, understanding the inside and outside of what's going on with the kid and how that's um, impacting them. And then the last piece is correction and a trauma responsive um, discipline model, corrective model. So anyways, those are the pieces of TBRI. So I started diving into that about 10 years ago. I became a TBRI educator in 2015. And um, I've worked with people across the United States teaching about TBRI. That's amazing. Yeah. Like that's what we've seen is just that like whole picture model, like trauma mm-hmm. model is so like important for, especially for kiddos. Cause I think sometimes when they've experienced so much trauma, they're like, it's hard for them to kind of cope with that. Like being, and it's yeah. hard from like an outside perspective too to see like a kid, especially like those behavioral reactions like we were talking about are so common. And a lot of mm-hmm. times, you know, people kind of just focus on like the behavior, but not really on like what's happening. 
And I say that often, that's my kind of my motto. I push is what's the need behind the behavior and what are we, what are we trying to, what are we seeing through behavior that the child needs actually? And I think that what works well for me for TBRI is because it's developmental. It actually is great for any kid, any human. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of our things we say in TBRI is um, teaching kids about redos and getting a, you know, getting to try again. And I often say this TBRI is good for any relationship. It's wise to not say that to a significant other. Would you like a redo? But generally speaking, the philosophy of redos is really good. (laughs) (laughs) When kids have experienced trauma, what are some common ways that you see them kind of responding to that trauma, whether it's emotionally or cognitively or? Well, one of the, you know, we get a lot of kids who have sensory issues. We get a lot of kids who have big behaviors. Those are the kids I end up working with their families a lot often um, because in my work with Idaho Federation of Families, um, you know, the kids who need our help, the families who need our help are families who have children with severe emotional disturbance. So I'm always talking about the kids with really big behaviors, but those really big behaviors are the piece that um, families want to focus on. But when we're working with them, we also need to look at what is the way that you're connecting to, because healing comes in relationships. And when kids are impacted by trauma in those early years, one through three, we see these kids who have attachment that isn't always healthy. And then parents, whether they're adoptive or biological, foster parents need to um, find new ways to attach and teach relationship skills. Because what's interesting is that how we attach to our caregiver in those early years is a pattern we carry on our whole life. So you could actually look at how my mom attached to my, uh, how my grandmother attached to my mom and never meet my mom and how she parented me. And then look at how my parenting styles with my kids. And unless I've done my own fierce work, that's going to be a pattern through generations. So that piece of attachment and what kids learn in those early years is that emotional regulation and how I do relationships. So that's an important piece of the behavior that comes out for trauma. Are there any common patterns that you see of what that looks like? Certain attachment behaviors early on tend to like play out in certain other behaviors later on. Like, of course, different situations are different for different people, but I'm curious if there are any like common patterns that you tend to see, or if it's a lot more unique than that. I don't know that it's unique. I mean, like I, I'll say that again, of course it's unique in the individual, but we can look at patterns in that, you know, like I said, we can see trauma, the emotional development that's half the age, right? We can see a place where an eight-year-old's acting like a four-year-old. Those are pretty big behaviors. If you've parented, let's say a six-year-old acting like a three-year-old, if you've parented a three-year-old, it's not an easy season to parent. (laughs) And so you end up with a kiddo with really emotionally dysregulated, but that's not okay when you're six. That's not okay to throw a chair or throw your body or those types of things. So those kiddos who have had big trauma in their life end up with those big behaviors. Now, For the families I work with who have adopted, sometimes we think that if we adopt them in those first days, that that means there's no trauma. And what we know is that one of the trauma indicators is in utero trauma even, and that there's a neurochemical attachment, a neurochemical 
relationship with the birth mom. And so it's really important that we recognize that there was a loss and grief and that that's where the individual piece comes out, right? Some kids are okay, but other kids, we have to say, oh, wow, that really impacted them. But we see that with adults too, right? Some adults are going to come out of COVID and be like, that was okay. The year was hard, but that was okay. But other people are going to come out and it's going to be more messy than that. So one, can I talk about one of our resources? Yes. yes. Okay. So one of the resources I met mentioned was the family support line and our own work and helping families navigate the Idaho mental health care system. And that's called the yes system of care. And that is for kids up to their 18th year, up to their 18th birthday, who have emotional, severe emotional disturbance, big behaviors. And that might be in school, at home, whatever that situation is. And the idea is, is that we create a team in the community and resources in the community, which come around that family and help that um, child heal. All children in Idaho have access to that system. Children who are up to 300% of the poverty line have access through Medicaid, and then over that poverty line have access through children's mental health. But that's part of what we do is help families access that system. So that system, when they call, just connecting, could basically connecting them to those local resources they might need, like mental health services. Mental health services, and then there's a variety of other services. The system is new, and I would say even it's in its infancy stage. So, and then put on top of its infancy stage, COVID, and it's hard to find a respite worker, right? (laughs) It's hard to find someone to come babysit a typical family, let alone find someone who we can hire to come into our home regularly. So we're helping families find those different services that are supposed to be available, but have not been put in place in all regions. But we're helping families understand what those are and how they can advocate and who to call and those pieces as well. That's super helpful because I feel like parents, like it's hard for parents. Like I feel like sometimes parents are like, where do we even start with getting those resources or like, how do we even find those resources? So I think that's super helpful. Is that just a, like a, like a hotline then that they can call? Yes. So our phone number is 208-433-8845. And that phone number, you can pick a menu for the family support line and be able to access that support. And I would be the person who would either answer that phone or call you back. Great. We can put that information in our show notes at when we publish this podcast. Perfect. <laughs> that phone number is available during business hours then? And then Correct. after hours, they would just leave a message and then. Correct. As well on IdahoFederation.org, we have resources for crisis. Each region in the state has a crisis, mm-hmm. mobile crisis response team, as well as Optum, who covers, currently has the contract to provide the yes services, they also have a crisis number. Are there any like tools or like suggestions on what parents maybe who have children who've experienced trauma or who are experiencing mental health challenges, things that their parents can do? I think the easiest thing that we end up doing is isolating. And so my biggest thing is build a community that can be done virtually now, right? Like we have, we run our support groups virtually, but there's other groups throughout Idaho and find those people 
who, even though it feels like you're on this journey alone, find those people who are also doing this journey because so easy when we're in crisis, regardless of what that crisis is, right. That we end up isolating. Mm -hmm. And we know that if I already said that it's through relationships, we heal. That's true for parents as well, that they need relationships to get out the other side because experiencing compassion fatigue or caregiver fatigue or secondary trauma, whatever you want to label that piece, that messy piece that parents end up going through when they're living through their own chaos in their homes. Um, it's important to have a community around them. So that would be another piece. It's, I just think is the beginning of an important journey for parents, of course, then finding those resources for your kids, but doing it alone is next to impossible. Yeah, I completely agree. We still have a lot with like parents, you know, especially like when we're working with youth, the parents are like, they feel like they're the only parents going through what yeah. they're experiencing and it can be isolating. Yeah. And when we have kids who have extreme behaviors, then, you know, we get labels from the community and it's difficult. We're always on the fighting end of advocating for our child and rarely do people understand the impact of trauma on the entire family. So mm-hmm. are finding those communities, is that something that you all can help with at your helpline? Is that something you all do or that you have information about? We work hard to try and connect with groups like yours to, to find those, right? Like to yeah. throughout the state to say, okay, this in this region, we know in Northern Idaho, it's hard. It's even harder than any other place. Eastern Idaho has more supports, right? You would, you might think of that as a rural part of Idaho too, but there's a lot of, a lot of supports in a lot of places in Eastern Idaho, but you know, we, we have better supports in certain areas, but certainly helping parents find that community, whether it be through our virtual support groups or a local community. The other piece is, is, you know, speaking to someone in Canyon County, our cultures throughout Idaho are very different. So we're still not out of our homes and I Boise so much, right? Like my whole staff works virtually still. And um, so many other places are able to already make real face-to-face connections. So it depends where you are and what you're able to do. Yeah. But I must say that like eight o'clock at night is a nice time to have a support group online. So we, we run those and that's sometimes a great place to not have to leave your house. <laughs> Yeah, we're finding it to be really nice to have some of those virtual (laughs) support systems in place. So especially like when parents are navigating childcare, it's like one less thing Mm -hmm. that they have to worry about with a virtual support system. Yeah, or in rural areas where they may have to drive for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes to get to anywhere. (laughs) Was there anything that we missed, Michelle, that you wanted to highlight either about your organization or your role? No, I don't think so. Look at my notes. Nope. We appreciate your time because we're like, yeah. Michelle's the perfect person. Like, ask oh, that's kind awesome questions about. Yeah. I think a lot of times, sometimes kiddos get missed with the like prevention pieces, and but they're really the most can be the most important pieces to all. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. And we just love highlighting like resources, especially for parents, because there's so many awesome organizations like yours out there, and just being able to share that makes it a little bit easier. Well, because we're in their infancy state for yes, not all therapists might think, oh, this kid, we should plug this kiddo in, mm-hmm. right? But we need we need to start doing that so that we can build up our system because until there's an, like, it's this catch 22 of, until we identify those kids, the resources aren't built. 
yeah that makes sense thank you so much for chatting with us I feel like I learned some things (laughs) good good well if you guys have questions or programs that are good for us to highlight, send them our way, like support yeah. groups and things like that. Cause we're always looking to partner with other groups who are providing that support. If you need any of the, if I refer to anything and you need the resources, they're either on our website or sorry, my screen's over here. Like you can see it. <laughs> either they're on my website or um, let me know and I'll let you know where they are. Perfect. Okay? Thank you, Michelle. Right. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. All right. Have a good day. You, you too. too. We just want to thank Michelle for coming on and taking time out of her busy schedule to share all the information. Um, She shared so many great pointers and tips um, on how trauma impacts childhood development, what kind of behaviors might people notice from children, displayed by children who have been impacted by trauma or are experiencing mental health. Super great tips to kind of cue into. Um, She also provided really great information um, and tools for parents and resources that are available for parents who have children who've experienced trauma and or experience mental health challenges. And the Idaho Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health is one of those really great resources. And so we're going to include their contact information in the show notes, but their phone number is 208 433-8845. And if email works better, their email is info at idahofederation.org. So those are a couple of ways that you can get connected um, with the Idaho Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health. And they have really great resources. Um, Michelle talked about how they're rolling out a new hotline, and that's a really great way for people to reach out for services. Um, Even though they're located in Boise, they serve the entire state of Idaho, so it doesn't matter where you are in Idaho. um, The Idaho Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health is a great resource, and they'll get you connected um, to those support and resources. Wonderful. Great organization, great information, incredibly helpful. So like we mentioned at the top of the episode, April is Sexual Assault Awareness and Action Month, as well as Child Abuse Awareness and Action Month. A couple of big mouthfuls of words there. (laughs) But other things that we can do going into this month and as we go throughout this month, Safe Passage has a couple of things going on. We have some rocks that we've painted. We've painted them teal. Teal is a sexual assault awareness ribbon color. So we painted our rocks teal and we've left them all around Coeur d'Alene and the surrounding areas. So if you see one of our rocks, if you find one of our rocks, we love to hear from you. Tag us on social media, or you can give us a call or send us an email and let us know you found one of our rocks. So keep an eye out for those teal rocks throughout parks and public areas in the Coeur d'Alene area this month. And we are also um, distributing coffee sleeves all over North Idaho, really. So there's coffee sleeves that say like, that have like a little consent message on them. So if you find our coffee sleeves, we have coffee sleeves at Calypso's, Fine Brood, Bean Barn and Rathdrum, Fire Up Espresso and Spirit Lake, and the NIC, the North Idaho College campus, has some coffee sleeves at their Cardinal Coffee Shop. So you should definitely support our local businesses here in North Idaho. Find one of our coffee sleeves, tag us, tag them, um, and let us know what you think. And enjoy their delicious coffee or tea or whatever other drink you prefer. (laughs) 
we seriously have some of the best coffee stands around mm-hmm. here. So you can't go wrong or go to all of them. I don't know. It's, it's true. I <laughs> feel like go to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have um, another event going on. April is also Child Abuse Awareness Month and Prevention Month. So our Children's Advocacy Center is bringing awareness to child abuse. In Kootenai County in 2020, there was hundreds of cases of child abuse and thousands more across the state of Idaho. And while these numbers can be heartbreaking, at Safe Passage, our Children's Advocacy Center is working every day to bring awareness and bring the end of child abuse in our community. So we have people who work at our CAC who are incredible, who provide forensic interviews for law enforcement in a safe, welcoming environment where children will feel comfortable sharing their story with our trained forensic interviewers. And we also have an advocate that meets with the family, the non-offending caregivers to provide support and resources. So that way the family can move forward in their healing process. Of course, our CAC also has an awesome director who kind of keeps things going. So this year for Child Abuse Awareness Month in April, we're raising funds for the Children's Advocacy Center. So we are selling pinwheels that will be placed in the lawn at the Kootenai County Courthouse to have visual representation of every case of child abuse in Kootenai County. So all proceeds from this fundraiser will go right back to the CAC to continue to fund all the resources needed for families affected by child abuse in our community. So you can always go to our Safe Passage website and buy a pinwheel. So that would be great. Yeah. And I think all three of those, they're to raise a lot of awareness around a lot of these issues. Cause one of the things is, you know, when we don't talk about the existence of some of these things that are honestly difficult to talk about, sometimes it can kind of create an attitude that maybe it doesn't exist or that it's not an issue. And so kind of the goal of a lot of these is to just raise awareness that it is a thing that's happening and there's work being done around it. And there are things that we can do. So as little as it seems to like buy a pinwheel or take a picture of a coffee sleeve, it really, it really does help spread that message, spread that word. And, and it helps. We also have a support group starting up for teens who have been impacted by sexual abuse or sexual assault. It's for anyone between the ages of 14 to 18 years old. The goal is to provide support and resiliency skills for teens. It's open to any demographic and it's really just a education-based group to provide those resiliency skills, those self-care skills, and to help move forward on a path toward healing. And it's totally free. It's totally confidential. So if you or if you are, or if you know any teens in your life who would be interested in a support group like that, let us know. It's been a lot of fun. We've been doing a support group for a while. And so we're getting ready to start a new cycle pretty soon. So you can visit our Instagram page or you can email us at studentsafety at safepassageid.org if that's something you're interested in or if you have more questions or you want more information. We're fun. We are fun. (laughs) We do our best. (laughs) So if you have any more information, you want to follow along with any of these awareness events that we're doing, you can keep track of us on Facebook or on Instagram or on any of our social medias find us safe passage on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have two different Instagram accounts. We're at at safe passage teen, as well as at safe passage ID. We also have a YouTube channel. All of that is linked on our 
safe passage teen Instagram. Uh, keep an eye out for new podcast episodes. We're going to have new episodes coming out every month for the next little while. We'll have lots more friends on our podcast and we'll hear from a lot of community workers helping create a safer community. You can also visit our website, www.safepassageid.org. And if you would like to talk with one of us, if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can also call our 24-7 hotline, 208-664-9303. Did I forget anything? No. Okay. All right. Everyone enjoy the sunshine. Yeah. Enjoy the sunshine. Have a wonderful day or a wonderful week. And we hope you have a beautiful April. See you next time.